Good morning. Can you hear me well? Yes, thank you. Uh, it's my pleasure to greet those of you who braved Saturday morning and, uh, by coming here. And um, I would like to begin my talk with uh, one of the interesting observations one of interesting observations of phenomenological philosophy, that uh, things appear to us as they are only due to always present situation of figure and the background. In other words, perceiving means comparing. Thinking means comparing. And uh, this proposition takes me where no member of Ibn Arabi society in good standing has gone before. That is in the direction of comparison between a philosopher and a mystic. The philosopher in this case is Shehab uh, al-Din Suravardi, and the mystic, of course, is Muiddin Ibn Arabi. In the recent years, uh, the new translations of commentaries and glosses demonstrated that the divisions between uh, falsify and kalam uh, were not as watertight as we used to think. Kalam uh, is uh, theology. And that kalam developed many of its ideas in dialogue with, if not through the direct borrowing from Islamic philosophy. On the other hand, after Hado's philosophy as a way of life was translated into English, uh, it's not surprising to us anymore that the prominent Islamic philosophers of classical and post-classical period were also actively practicing Sufis, from whom the ontological insight was a part of their lived experience. In so far as the Sufi thought and practice was in alignment with the principles of theology, Sufi spiritual practice also became cross-pollinated by the philosophical ideas about reality. Lastly, under philosophy, we should not understand exclusively logical reasoning. An example of non-rationalist non -rationalist philosophical influences will be, of course, the Neoplatonic ontology in the writings of Ibn Arabi. And of course, Ibn Arabi doesn't provide us with the references to Plotinus or uh, Dionysius Areopagid, but the attitudes uh, towards, because the attitude towards ideas and tradition in the ancient world were very different from our present notions of intellectual property and plagiarism. And perhaps because of that, Ibn Arabi quotes the living teachers whom he encountered, the live teachers, and not the written sources from which he perhaps borrowed and synthesized uh, quite generously. And uh, one of such borrowings could be the method that we encounter a lot in his writings, the method of philosophical negation or abstraction known as uh, Tajrid. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, method Tajrid. I, I will show you all the words on screen. Uh, keep going, please. Okay. What do I have? The areas that I will cover today uh, include a set of preliminary remarks as those that I am going through now. 
and then uh, findings uh, regarding Tajrid and other elements of uh, ontological discourse in Suravardi, who is the philosopher with whom I will be comparing uh, Ibn Arabi's approach uh, to uh, philosophizing. And um, then I will address the implication that it brings for spiritual practice. So we are now on preliminary remarks. And um, before I proceed, uh, I would like also to attract your attention. Next slide, please. Uh, next, yeah, here. To um, connection or even to the fact that connection or even complementarity between Suravardi's uh, illuminationism and Akbarian philosophy, Ibn Arabi's philosophy, is uh, examined uh, and uh, emphasized in the works of Ibn uh, Turka, Kutbal Shirazi, Mir uh, Damad, Mullah Sadra, Ankarawi, and uh, many other traditional philosophers and mystics uh, in Islam, in Islamic metaphysics itself. And there is quite a body of modern-day comparisons between Suravardi's illuminationism and Akbarian approach uh, in the writings of Afifi, uh, Azadpur, Karben, Lando, Levinson, Nasser, uh, Nathan, and perhaps other thinkers of whom I, uh, whom I didn't indicate in the slide. Next, please. So the uh, word in question uh, or the practice, the process in question for today's talk is uh, Tajrid. Tajrid is uh, a noun representing the process of uh, Jarada. And the exact translation of Jarada is to strip away, remove the outside covering, peel off the shell. And so there is another term, uh, interesting term that is um, present in Ibn Arabi's writings, um, term uh, Mujarad, uh, or Mujarad, is that correct, Muna? Okay. Uh, it's the past participle of the verb uh, Jarada, and uh, Mujarad means uh, something which was subjected to the process of Jarada, means um, something which was subjected to this process of uh, stripping away, removing the outside covering, peeling off the shelf. Uh, next one, please. Tajrid is um, encountered widely in uh, Islamic literature, um, philosophical literature in various contexts um, with a slightly variating meaning as catharsis or purification, uh, meaning extracting and summarizing the essential components of thoughts, um, then as an abstraction, as a negation, uh, and uh, I will show today, or at least I hope to do so, that Tajrid is also denoting phenomenological and transcendental reduction, which puts us, as a result, not as much into the realms of ideas, but into the realms of direct lived experience, into the realms that um, are much more connected with living and practicing and experiencing and emoting human being than uh, we uh, usually think when we read philosophical literature and encounter that word. Next, please. Tajrid, interestingly, is also uh, present in uh, um, works of, uh, or in uh, texts attributed to Ibn Arabi as uh, a spiritual practice. 
uh, and uh, it occurs um, in the account of Ibn Arabi's uh, vision of Jesus. Ibn Arabi states that Tajrid was recommended to him by Jesus along with Zuhd. Uh, renunciation. Now, Adas translates the term Tajrid as uh, self-denial. Um, it's also offered, um, rendered uh, isolation in the tradition frequently, and uh, it denotes the state in which one isolates oneself from worldly things and abandons all carnal or bodily desires. So it's sort of an ascetic practice and, um, in which one should uh, turn away from things other than God and um, uh, away from uh, worldly expectations and uh, set one's heart totally on him without expecting anything in return. And I owe uh, this uh, description to Fethullah Gulen, actually, uh, surprisingly, an excellent article summarizing the spiritual meaning uh, of Tajrid uh, belongs to him. Uh, but it can be compared with uh, Carben's uh, reading of the term as uh, Anahore's spiritual, or Anahore's spiritual. Okay, next please. So, uh, in the oral tradition of Sufism, uh, which I believe is reflected in Gulen's writings, uh, there are uh, some references to traditional sources, but uh, generally Tajrid uh, in the oral tradition uh, relates to Quranic statement, uh, take off your shoes. Uh, the term Tajrid uh, is not in this uh, statement because um, the uh, Quranic statement includes a different verb, uh, take off akla, right? Okay. Uh, and, uh, but, but the idea of purification of the heart uh, is usually associated uh, with uh, Tajrid. So several meanings, purification of the heart, uh, resistance against carnal desires. But then uh, there is a very interesting uh, reading uh, that uh, Julian offers, um, and that is, some go a step further and regard this as turning to the light of lights with all one's heart and setting one's heart totally on him without leaving any room for anything else in one's feelings according to one's capacity. Okay. So what is this light of lights? Is it something that we should take metaphorically? Uh, or is it something which... Um, uh, we think about, or is it something that we can experience? Okay, please, next slide. So uh, for this, we need to turn to uh, Suravardi, because Suravardi is much more systematic, uh, if not thinker, but writer. And so he gives us clues in his writing as to what realities may be denoted uh, by the term uh, Tajrid, and specifically the term Nur Mujarad because uh, Nur Mujarad is this, uh, means, um, as I am proposing the translation, light made bare or denuded light, and it's the key term in Suravardi's uh, Hikmat al-Ishraq, his uh, central exposition of illuminationist philosophy, and uh, that is what the process of Tajrid is leading us to. So now, next please. The relationship, um, or like, let's say, historical geographic uh, relationship between uh, Suravardi and Ibn Arabi uh, are not as remote as uh, one may uh, think. So, um, Ibn Arabi is born in 1165 
in Murcia, and then he um, travels uh, in uh, 1193 Maghreb, and then goes to Mecca, 1200, uh, then Damascus, 1223 to 1240, uh, Anatolia, 1204. Now, Suravardi is born in uh, Suravard, uh, that is northern um, present-day uh, Iran. Uh, here near Azerbaijan travels this area evidently quite extensively, uh, which we can infer it from his writings. There is very little biographical uh, material left. Uh, and in uh, 1180, uh, 1186, in Anatolia, um, he uh, completes his uh, magnum opus, um, the uh, Hikmat al-Ishraq. Uh, and uh, by the time when the manuscript is written, uh, Ibn Arabi already um, about to begin his migrations through northern Africa and then capture this area. Now, uh, I think that there is uh, little information known, or at least I wasn't able to find anything convincing on what happened when people in that culture at that time completed their manuscripts. They, certainly there was no kinko around, uh, kinkos uh, to print it out, but, but somehow, so how, what is the way by which uh, written word was disseminated. Uh, the oral tradition travels very fast, as we know, and um, Suravardi, uh, it's uh, shown that Suravardi also had an oral following. He was at the court, at Sultan's court, included uh, or involved heavily in politics, uh, which possibly led to his untimely and uh, unexplainable death. But certainly by the time when Ibn Arabi arrived to Mecca and to then moved to Damascus, uh, Hikmat Ali Shrak uh, was, was already a known work, and uh, certainly the story of uh, Suravardi's execution, uh, which was in some aspects similar to Halaj's uh, execution, um, that story could have been a part uh, already uh, solidly integrated uh, in the Sufi oral tradition and in the circles uh, which were interested uh, in philosophy and destiny and all other questions of human uh, existence. Thank you. Next one, please. So uh, Afifi, in 1938, suggested that Ibn Arabi's ideas of existence and essence are directly influenced by Shraki, specifically by Suravardi's original articulation of illuminationism in Hikmat Ali Shrak, and not by Ibn Tufail or Avicenna, as, uh, you know, we frequently find that uh, scholars uh, who study uh, within Ibn Arabi intellectual lineage uh, attribute uh, uh, ideas of uh, epistemology of direct knowing, for example, or um, uh, imaginal uh, closeness with imaginal realms to the influences of Ibn Tufail, for example. But um, Suravardi is much more seminal source for illuminationism than uh, Ibn Tufail or Avicenna, and his writings were already uh, seem to be available uh, in, in the culture at that time. Next, please. So um, what do we find in the philosophy of illumination um, in terms of this uh, interesting concepts of concept of denuded light or uh, nur uh, mujarad? 
So I will be skipping the slides um, because uh, of the uh, much material that we need to uh, cover. So uh, the term Nur Mujarad uh, is uh, in translations. Uh, in the translations uh, is um, frequently interpreted as incorporeal light. That's the translation offered by uh, Walbridge in uh, ZIE or by Carben, even uh, immaterial light. And where it puts us, uh, this kind of uh, translation, um, it proposes that uh, Nur Mujarad is a mental or ideal entity, that it's a result of abstraction, uh, perhaps a result of negation similar to neoplatonic negation. It puts us into the realms of pure ideas. Uh, so let's look. Um, the term uh, Nur Mujarad in Hikmat Ali Shrak is encountered um, in passages uh, 112, 113, 114, it's in the very beginning of um, Suravardi's uh, ontological uh, exposition. And he says uh, the following regarding this uh, Nur Mujarad. No one who has an essence of which uh, he should be not, it should be she, or no one who has an essence of which he is not unconscious is dusky, for his essence or his self is evident to us. It cannot be a dark state in something else, since even the luminous state is not a self-subsistent light, let alone the dark state. Therefore, it is a non it is non-spatial, non-spatial, pure nur mujarat. So I'm putting deliberately nur mujarat here because if I say non-spatial, pure, incorporeal light, that means that we are immediately in this idealistic domain, and I doubt that uh, Suravati meant that. All right, well, the common uh, misconceptions about the idea of light in Suravati, next slide, please, is that the idea of ontological hierarchies of light is borrowed from Neoplatonism, that the concept of light in Suravati is symbolic, or abstract uh, principle, that the term light is metaphorical, and so you can see this persisting uh, rationalistic or uh, idealist bias in the translations, how those terms are interpreted. Okay, next please. Suravarti himself, however, and it's, it's in, in, in close proximity to uh, Nur Mujarad, uh, Suravarti states quite the opposite. He says, I do not use this light and luminosity in a metaphorical way, as the light is used to mean what is evident to reason, even though such usages do at the last derive from this light. So it's something which is more basic uh, than an idea, and it is definitely not an idea according to uh, Suravardi's own uh, evidence. So what can it possibly be? Okay, let's go two slides down, please. There should be, keep going, once again, keep going. Okay, we missed this uh, 109, I just read it. Okay, next, please. Okay, here we need to be. So in passage 112, uh, Suravardi says, 
since you know that any light can be pointed to as an accidental light, then if there is a pure light, it cannot be pointed to nor be located in a body nor have special dimensions. And then in 113, after he described the method by which we can arrive at this light, um, he says, accidental light is not light in itself, since its existence is in another. The, thus, it can only be light due to another. Nurmad Mucharad is light in itself. So he makes a direct distinction between the light in question, which he arrived at, at the process described in 1.12, and other lights and things in existence which have uh, conditioned, uh, not self-subsistent uh, presence. And then he says, everything that is light in itself is uh, nur this this purified light, this denuded light, and that becomes the foundation of his whole ontological argument. So the question is to understand then in 112, what is it that he means by those steps that he describes here? Because if we understand what he means, we can repeat those steps, we can follow his instructions, and we can arrive at this principle uh, which is uh, very important, evidently, to realize Nur, uh, the Nur Mujarat. Next, please, next slide. So, uh, and one more, and one more, we have to be uh, three slides down. No, one up, please. Okay, great, thank you. So, um, couple, what allows us to um, understand what kind of light is meant by Suravardi? is the analysis of the nature of evidence in his philosophy. And so here, uh, I'm afraid that this is a bunch of uh, concepts which, uh, uh, which may appear a little bit heavy, but I will dare that nevertheless. And if we find ourselves drowning, then, then we can continue kind of attempts to swim out of this um, darkness by during the workshop. So, uh, in 107, Suravardi gives the following um, statement. Anything in existence that requires no definition or explanation is evident. Since there is nothing more evident than light, there is nothing less in need of definition. All right. So, that which is highlighted on this slide, the emphasis on the nature of evidence, in combination with the Tajrid methodology that he gives us in um, passage 112, indicates that Suravardi builds his argument from things which are available to him in perception, from things which, to which our consciousness can be present, as opposed to taking as a ground of his philosophy uh, a pure idea or the uh, premise of faith. And that puts him aside from um, uh, other philosophers um, in, in um, Islamic tradition that strong emphasis on, the, on building his philosophy from the datum of experience. Uh, we uh, call things taken or considered with regard to their presence to us phenomena. 
and the whole 20th century uh, phenomenology, phenomenological philosophy comes out of this premise. This uh, purification of the ground for philosophizing as opposed uh, taken things in their presence as opposed to ideas or natural even observations. Um, uh, this, this approach was introduced by Husserl. He spent a lot of time on uh, refining the nature of evidence in philosophy. Uh, the procedure of bracketing is applied to that. And I believe that Karl Ernst's talk uh, tomorrow, maybe, I have a suspicion, I don't know, but maybe is dealing a little bit with this idea of bracketing assumptions um, at the entry into uh, research. So, uh, I did quite an extensive analysis, thank you for the slide, uh, comparative analysis uh, of different verses in Suravardi and then comparison of how uh, he works the evidence with, uh, by comparison with Ibn Tufail or other philosophers. And so I'm pretty sure that that's what is meant in this verse 107. Okay. So, uh, one down, please, yes. So, the term Nurmujarat is expected to be a description, therefore, a signification to a referent intended directly, and not a metaphorical indication of something that reminds us of some properties of uh, visible light. So, um, that's this analysis of uh, evidence leads us to. Okay. So now let's revisit again this verse. Two slides down, please. Uh -huh. Okay, rule again. Since you know that any light that can be pointed to is an accidental light, then if there is a pure light, it cannot be pointed to, nor be located in the inner body, nor have uh, special dimensions. Next slide, please. And again, next slide. Okay. So... Um, uh, and here we have to uh, turn away from thinking into it, the area of examining our own experience. Uh, that was done uh, in the history of philosophy uh, the most by uh, Edmund Husserl in the 20th century. And, um, but I think that it's easy to follow his argument because what he says basically is that the structure of our experience is uh, always uh, defined by relationship of subject and object. So, for example, uh, when I'm uh, holding this mic in my hand in this cup, evidently these are objects and they are in my awareness and I'm a subject who is aware of that. Like that, anybody is human subject, subject of consciousness, and you are in relationship with objects which are external to you. The same interesting type of relationship exists in our mind with the objects of imagination, uh, with the objects of thought, uh, and uh, with the objects which are emotions, and with the objects which are external and internal sound. So, okay. So that's the right distance now, I think, talking about. So now, when I was trying to find the distance, distance itself is in our awareness. Dimension is a quality of the objects. Space, time are the properties which can be objectified. All right? 
So we are in relationship of being aware of, spa of the space, relationship of being aware of the time, and this slide indicates this type of relationship subject the I intends, becomes aware of the objects. I am aware of this. Intentionality of consciousness is a vector directed from the subject to the objects. And that's how we know things. That's building to our consciousness. That's a feature of consciousness we cannot do otherwise. Okay, so now what happens if we discard everything which is the object of the senses, the object of the mind, uh, the object of awareness, including space, including time, then we are left with this very interesting subjective principle, which is at the core of who we are, and yet all the qualities were discarded. So uh, keep moving, please. Um, next one. Uh, let's see. No, one up, I believe. That's, yeah, yes, okay. Um, let's see. Okay, yeah. So, this is, uh, I believe, what Suravardi means by uh, Nur Mujarad. So, the process of Jarada, discarding all of this, senses are very important because there are internal senses and external senses. And uh, so it's not just the sensory knowledge, but the senses themselves are discarded. And uh, then we are left with this pure awareness, pure subject, uh, that is Nur Mujarad. Uh, next slide, please. Now, what is also very important, that this is not happening as a mental reduction alone. Uh, because if we involve senses, this means that we are embodied. Uh, the body is the senses. So it is the reduction which is happening in the living consciousness and brings us to the origin of this consciousness in the living awareness, in the living body. It's not a pure thought. Tajrid uh, ends up, in this case, in living subjectivity and not in an abstract idea. Next, please. And then next. Uh, it's possible to compare this process of Tajrid with uh, Neoplatonic reduction and with, you know, the way this was applied in the, by Descartes or more applied by Husserl or applied in Advaita Vedanta because this uh, reduction is a, a frequent tool in the philosophical inquiry. But there is a big difference whether it is con conducted in, in just a thought or is conducted in a living, breathing, emoting uh, consciousness. Uh, so next, please. All right. So uh, so here we are with this denuded light, and Suravardi's ontological argument builds off this uh, denuded light. Uh, for example, when he applies, next one, please, 113, uh, when he says accidental light is not light in itself since its existence is in another, and thus it can only be light due to another, and then the incorporeal uh, pure light, that's Woolbridge and ZIE, and it should be Nur Macht Mujarad, uh, should be light made bare, the denuded light, is light in itself. Therefore, everything that is light in itself is incorporeal pure light in order to understand what is it that she really, he really means in this tomb, in this verse, which becomes a foundation for his whole second part of Hikmat al-Ashraq, uh, we need to do a really extensive analysis. Next one, please. 
in order to arrive at the ontological connotations of this uh, Nur uh, Mujarad, and for example, with a verse like 113, um, one can do the whole uh, what is called uh, static phenomenological analysis when you proceed from the rule down to the bottom of the meanings contained in this term, in this verse. And then you proceed from this uh, pre-reflective level of Nurmujarad, assumingly Nurmujarad, and then you analyze it up, how the meaning is created, and then in this bottom, uh, bottom up and top down approaches, the themes, uh, themes like uh, absence of space, all pervasiveness, the absolute nature of Nurmujarad, the fact that we are all, well, if I use more contemporary, uh, even new age terminology or spiritual terminology, we are one in that consciousness, and, and that consciousness is the self in, in every living self. That becomes evident not because somebody said that, but because it, this is a set of ontological connotations arising from the direct experience of this subjective reality. Things are not that straightforward if you start looking at it closely because uh, it's, it's um, let's see, let's move on uh, from this, and perhaps I should skip this um, verse on the essence, and uh, please keep going, I'll tell you where to stop, keep going. Okay, here we are. So this is the uh, map of uh, reduction of how it happens, thanks Nuria, how it happens when we start practicing this uh, purification of uh, Nur Mujaran inside, uh, people turn their attention to the somatic embodied sense of self, okay? And so uh, this is turning on to me, and when I say me, I don't say me, I, well, I can say me, but it will be all my rather than me. Not me, not me, but me, okay? So it's, there is an area in the body where the somatic self-awareness is projected, so what happens to people oh my God, who start practicing this uh, reduction, they, um, uh, their awareness get condensed in the area of the chest, the area of the spiritual heart. And as we peel the layers of our perception and the layers of our thinking, we actually peel the layers of constitution of the world and self in the area which uh, yesterday was mentioned by uh, Professor Chidik, I believe, uh, uh, as, or maybe somebody else, I apologize, I don't remember the speaker, who, uh, ah, in the reading of Tarjuman, uh, between the chest bone and, and my diaphragm or my stomach, so that's the area where this inquiry lands uh, into, and then the peeling of those coverings uh, uh, begins, so that's what we will be doing in the workshop, and next slide, please. Okay, uh, so as you can imagine, and that comes very clearly in experience, when this peeling is happening, all the components of the mind are left behind, and what remains, this is the area of the eye. Well, we can call it pure awareness, we can call it pure subjectivity, but we really, it's very hard to really catch the nature of this pure subjectivity because it's, it's, it's a mix of meaning and, and, 
it's, you cannot say what it is. There is no really word which would capture clearly, uh, describe clearly that residue of consciousness. Uh, Merleau-Ponty uh, uses the term flesh of the world with that uh, as, as, uh, you know, as opposed to the term pure awareness. And so uh, that's a very interesting term, flesh of the world. It's, it's a little bit like that by which this world is made and sustained, and some of that argument is really close to uh, Suravardi's uh, ontological argument. Okay, next one, please. Now, in the uh, remaining uh, few minutes, I will um, again turn back to Gulen's article. So he cautions up uh, from the sort of what we call can, uh, can call a trap of endless negation. That is a sort of negation of idea by idea by idea by idea, which is going to put us into the realms of darkness or what probably uh, uh, Ibn Arabi calls a station of the desert in, in Tarjuman al-Ashraq, the place of dead mental negation where it's, it's, not, it's not really fulfilling. However, um, however, uh, if, um, and Gulen uh, here in this quote, he gives us a little bit of a um, description of how this uh, negation can, one of the variants of how it can uh, play itself in negating things which are living and things that we deal with uh, in our day-to-day experience, empirical reality. However, um, so uh, we can say that perhaps uh, Tajrid can lead us to a reality which is uh, deeper and alive and not that station of the desert. And therefore, it becomes a very important method. And therefore, uh, we, we have to start questioning what kind of Tajrid was uh, recommended to Ibn Arabi by Jesus. Was it a practice of asceza and renunciation? Or maybe it was a more substantial uh, kind of internal uh, practice of uh, realizing the uh, nur mujarad, the subjective light, the pure self essence, uh, which is at the same time the essence and the essences in, in all there is. So uh, maybe that especially interesting it is uh, that there is a corresponding uh, Christian practice which uh, leads us to the same uh, end point. So, but I'd like to uh, finish uh, with the this uh, statement with, from Husso Newth himself. This is translation of, uh, by Weir, and I know that Cecilia Twinch is now uh, working on a different translation. I don't know what she will come up with uh, with regard to this verse. But you see, the way it is translated here, it is necessary that thou know him after his fashion, not by knowledge, uh, nor by intellect, nor by understanding, nor by imagination, nor by sense, nor by the outward eye, nor by the inward eye, nor by perception. So um, uh, I just got the Arabic of this piece, so I cannot tell you what's, what's happening there in the Arabic text yet, but uh, this is extremely interesting because what are we having here? A neoplatonic negation or uh, is it a practice in the embodied consciousness? I cannot say from the translation, have to look at context, etc., etc. So, um, next slide, please. I um, didn't give you any handouts uh, 
for which I apologize, but the article uh, on Suravardi part of this um, paper is going to appear in the philosophy of uh, Eastern West, and uh, to request a copy of this presentation, which has a little bit of reference to Ibn Arabi, uh, please feel free to email me at oluchikova at gmail.com, and my name is on the program, so it's first letter, last name, and gmail.com. Uh, thank you very much for your attention.